Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, um, I'm going to try to depart now. And again, <clears throat> this time I'm really taking a chance. I'm all here by myself. Without my son to help me, I'm going to try to do this as I did last time um, on podcast and audio and try and do this in the YouTube and the video, see how it works out. If it doesn't happen video-wise, well, don't be surprised. I'm not good at that sort of thing. Uh, today's <clears throat> partial podcast is, of course, being sponsored by um, uh, Abe Luck and uh, Gluck, Gluck Plumbing in Lakewood. If you remember, this week is the arts of his, of his folks. That's Chaim Eliezer Shalom, Reb Tubi Gedalio, and Chav Fagel, Basa Shmai Glick, Basa Shmai Shlita Glick, and uh, as we said before, the Shemesh Abelia, the grandparents are from the old country of Hungary, from uh, uh, Klemberdine. Now, um, <clears throat> so I want to thank him. As I say, he's sponsoring all the whole week. And listen, uh, it speaks, speaks the, let's put it this way, they left beside, behind the classy son if he wants to honor their memory in this way. Now, uh, you'll bear with me as I try to make this work in audio and the visual. Basically, we're looking at the Parsha Shoftim. I planned originally ooh, to do this this morning with the ladies and bring so many ideas, but it didn't work out that way for a bunch of reasons. Until I'll just throw it at you straight and direct. You look at Parsha Shoftim, and obviously you're getting to the question of authority. Right? Authority. Who runs the show? The Jews are now going to become, very soon, a country, a people. Not what they were in the desert, just running around 40 years under this guy named Moses. That's one type. That's like a big shave it. When you come to a country, you're going to set up <clears throat> some kind of government. Or am I wrong? At the end of the day, when you have a group, who makes their decisions? You know, what's the direction it goes? This is extremely unclear in the Chumash. I've said this many times before. The Chumash is written in the antithesis <coughs> of uh, the United States Constitution which is there to make very clear what the separation of powers are, the exact functions of the different parts of the uh, government, <coughs> and so forth. Here, Moshe Rabbeinu went through without ever talking about what kind of government they're going to have. That's like crazy, right? And only in his final speech before he dies, oh, by the way, here's how you should run the show. <laughs> it's wild. Plus, even then, <coughs> it's a jumble of ideas. It can't help <clears throat> but look at Pasha Shoto and so forth and come away confused. So what is it? Is it a kingdom? They didn't have a king for hundreds of years. Is it a Shoftim? Is it a cops? What is it? You start by saying Shoftim and Shoftim Okay, that's a police regime. But the police are not the, they're just the enforcers. Then you talk about a Sanhedrin or some court or another, you know, Kipalemim Chodavar La Mishpat, you know, Bakamta Lisa Alamachim and so forth. So you tell me you have a Supreme Court of Sanhedrin. Okay, then that's a theocracy, right? That's the yeshiva mentality told today. 
I'm serious. I'm not being funny. Ask any Bentora, typically. What do you be the ideal government? You know, just depending on who you are. <clears throat> if you're Litvish, they'll say, make Chaim Kanievsky the, the dictator. If you're, you know, the Gare, you'll say, make the Gare Rebbe the dictator. You know, the Bells, Bells Rebbe the dictator. And so on and so forth. Simply because <clears throat> the idea is out there that the person with the greatest Talmudic knowledge, perhaps the greatest halachic knowledge, the person who's best in the Lumsus, has as a virtue of that the ability to run a country in the best possible way, to make the proper decisions. Roughly speaking, we call this Das Torah, <clears throat> even though it's a confusing term. But that's the way, you know, that's the way it goes. In that case, what do you need a king for? Or you need a prophet? You have a goddle. I'll tell you again. Suppose, let's just happen. Let's just pretend. The Aguda got popular, and instead of winning three or four votes, they won 61 votes. Right? The Aguda. What would they do? They were, well, they're going to have fights. <clears throat> but you know what I'm saying. Let's put the Gedolim in charge. Let make Moses Gedolim in charge. They'll tell the government what to do. And go right See, all you need are smart people. Wise people. Virtuous people. This is what you call Plato uh, policy. When Plato wrote the Republic, long ago he's trying to imagine what's the <clears throat> best possible polity. You get the smartest people. Which, to some degree, is what we do. In other words, let's take, for example, America and other countries. True, we elect the leaders. But a lot of what the leaders do is constrained by what the scientific and other experts tell you. You know, Donald Trump, with all of his things, didn't want to really close down the country. The doctors kind of told him, look, you got to do it. And he believed him. I mean, we went through that period last year. You know, Trump was huffing and puffing. He had no choice. He you know, had to lock down the country during the corona and things like that. Suppose there's a flood. you got to talk to the FEMA people, the experts, how you do it, and so forth and so on. So that's the idea of government by the smartest. It's what we call today technocracy, bureaucrats, and things of that nature. That's the theory. The problem is there's a gap between the theory and the reality. So just because a guy went to Harvard doesn't mean he's going to make the right decisions. But according to Plato, it's supposed to be that way. And according to the Frum, it should be that way. You get the biggest Rebbe, the biggest Godel, and that way they'll figure out what to do. But then what do you need a melech for? And in this parsha, after he says, you know, then it says, when you get to Eretz Yisrael, right? I'm not going to cause you, I'm sure I did in the past, a big debate about whether having a king is al-Khafil, but the Yemen, the Abarban over everybody else. But as everybody knows, <clears throat> the king experiment in Jewish history did not work out great at all. It was a disaster. Shmuel Hanavi warned about this at the very beginning in the book of Samuel 1 when he said the king will be a tyrant. Shmuel did not prophesy that it would lead the people off the derrick, but that's what happened. Uh, once he set up a king, the slightest thing can make him a remachus. I want to remind you, they say that Uriah was Chai Misa from King David because he said Adoniyov. Notice you say two words, the wrong words, you're Chai Misa. Chaimisa. Who wants a system like that where you you, you burp at the wrong time and chop up your head and they're allowed to? Matter of fact, I might remind you that when you get to um, the first book of Samuel, actually, Gemara Sanhedrin, when Shmuel says the king will take everything away from you and so forth and so on, was Shmuel telling the truth or was he just trying to overawe them? 
And it's called the Parshas Hamelucha, I think. Parshas Hamelucha, or something like that. Mishpat, that's it, Mishpat Hamelucha. That's Rav versus Shmuel. I forget which one says which, but one says, when Shmuel said that the king will be a dictator, that's because the Torah does grant the king powers to be a dictator. And the other Mandomer says, no, actually a king has limited rights, but it will happen anyway. Because you take somebody, give them a lot of power, it is almost impossible, you know, to resist becoming a dictator. It's like giving a 15-year-old kid $20 million, expecting the kid to use it wisely. Not go touch it, put it in the bank, you know, like that, wait till I get 30, now to use it. Nobody does like that. You get the money now, they'll blow it. That's why they have the trust funds. Right? That's where it comes from. Okay. See, then you got this king. So how do you run the country? Do you do it through police? Do you through do shoftim? Shoftim? Do you do it through mishpat, you know, the Sanhedrin? Do you do it through a melech? Right? Maybe you do it through Kohanim Milibium? That's the next part show here. And Moshe is just tossing this out. I remember, after the speech, he dies. This is given shortly before his death. So it's like a guy said, I guess, you know, when I'm gone, you're going to have to organize the country. Let me give a couple ideas. Democracy, dictatorship, um, bureaucratic. Uh, good luck. <laughs> good luck. They didn't say how it works. In other words, are these all integrated into a single system or not? Theoretically, one could say, well, it's a kingdom. The king has this and this power. The Sanhedrin has that and that power. The Navi has such and such a role. The coin in Olivia is such a... Yeah, theoretically, Moshe didn't say that. Right? He didn't say, here's how it goes. This one trumps this, and this one trumps that. And, and, you know, the Melch is, uh, versus a, a Sanhedrin. I mean, he didn't, he didn't explain any of that. So it is rather strange, at least to me. Now, what I'm going to call attention to, what struck me today, thinking about the Parsha, is the role of the prophet, the Novi. Because this is strange. Moshe was a Novi. And Moshe says he will be followed by other Novis. But you and I know from basic Judaism 101, those no other Novis will be inferior. Uh, so bet. Uh, not so great. Not compared to Moshe Rabbeinu. It's a fundamental tenet of the Jewish religion, as we all know. Only Moshe Rabbeinu was in this level. And every other Novi is going to be Aspaklar, Shainim, Ira. It's going to be inferior. Why set up a system where you have a bunch of inferior prophets? Look, I know it's superior to you and me. I get that. But you understand what I'm saying. Once you get a prophet, you should be a prophet with total clarity like Moshe Rabbeinu. Nope, not going to happen. So, and Moshe says to them, by the way, uh, what's the words? He warns them against um, uh, magicians, sorcerers, and that kind of business. So obviously Moshe is worried that, as often happens, um, institutional authority will lose its charisma and then people will seek charismatic authority. Um, what happens if the uh, basins are no good? As happens, the Dayanam are corrupt or they seem flighty. The kings are no good. The others are... What, what do you do in that situation? Uh, the public will look for something uh, different. Hold on for a second. Sorry, got interrupted. <clears throat> um, but, you know, what happens when um, people don't like the courts? There's a big problem in Jewish history many times. Middle Ages today. People say, I got a better deal in the Geisha courts. You know what I mean? You know, how's that all to work? So anyway, Moshe's already worried about it long ago. 
And at least the way I read the Parsha, after he talked about a melech, and after he talks about, the, you know, a basin, a Sanhedrin, and Shotim, and Shotim, he says, stay away from alternative forms of justice, of justice because lo silmad lasos ketovas agoyim mehen, lo yimotzei b'chob ma'abir b'no b'itu b'eish kosim tzomim, chover chover, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, what does that mean? People do this to look for guidance what to do. The regular system, regular shall break down, they'll look for crazy stuff, like involving you mean sacrifice and all that kind of stuff. Now Moshe has Talmud Chiddush, which was a Chiddush 3,000 years ago, that that's something God doesn't like. Right? That's something God does not like. Okay, fine. Now, um, here comes the point. After saying, Stay away from these disgusting practices of human sacrifice and voodoo and whatever. And then he said like this, you want charismatic, non-judicial guidance? You don't feel comfortable going to your melech or your Sanhedrin or your rabbis? Okay, listen. Um, These going when they were looking for guidance charismatically, they went to all kinds of sorcerers. You, the Jews, shouldn't do that. So then what should you do? I'm leaving behind the institution of Novi. So it's very interesting. Now we just complicated the constitution of Jewish people, or I should say the non-constitution of Jewish people. You got your Melech, you got your um, Sanhedrin, although we're not told what the relations are between the others. None of them were elected, by the way. You got your uh, Shoftim Shoftim. Uh How's it work? You got your Quran and Levium. Once upon a time, had a certain authority, had their own basins, the Mishnah tells us. And it says, Prophet. Really? So, what's the role of the Prophet? The Bible is full of all kind of contentions for top dog status between the Melch and the, and the Navi. Usually, the Melch wants to go off the Derek, and the Navi tells him stay on the Derek. Navi, don't worry, I, when I'm gone, Moshe Rabbeinu says, God will provide other prophets. Why should there be other prophets? In other words, I'll give you an example today. There are no Novis today. And we get along. And let's say in the time of, I don't know, by Shane or something, you know what I mean? No Novis. And they had a Sanhedrin. They had a base in Migdash. Other institutions. What's with the Novi? This is the thing that caught my attention. I'm looking at Ari Kaplan, he says, In your midst, God will set up a prophet like me, like me, Moshe, from among your brethren, Jewish. He loved Tishmun, listen to him. This is the result of the request you made of God your Lord at Chorib and Day of Assembly, known as the Maimon Hasinai. When you said, right, we cannot listen to the voice of God anymore, we cannot look at the great fire anymore, we do not want to die. And instead, God said, I'll get you the nubbies. So this is fascinating. What it's saying is like this. Had the B'nai Israel not screwed up at our Sinai, had they gotten it right, there'd be no, no nubbies. Maybe they'd be on the level of the I don't know. Maybe they'd all make no more sins anymore, you know. Who knows what the world would have been like. Had they not broken with the and made the golden calf, 
I mean, you have all these midrashim. You don't know what to do with them. How exactly or how literally are charus mimalchamavis? They crowns on their head and so on and so forth. These are all expressions that it would have been Mashiach site to use modern terminology. So let's say the Jewish people said Nasim and Ishmael, they meant it. The whole human history would be different. That's what we believe. All the screw-ups come from the Eagle of and things like that. I'm not simply saying the sin of the Eagle of so I'm saying they did the failure to rise to the occasion. The Bible is written, as I think we all know, in, um, how should I put it? Paradise Lost. They have at least two examples of this. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and the Bnei Yisrael Harsinah. On each occasion, they're standing at the gates of permanent paradise and they mess up. In the case of Adam and Eve, they eat the apple or whatever it was that they ate. As a result, they're driven from Gan Eden. Harsinai was a return, possibly, right, possibly. Had they not eat, had they not gone off the derech, not made a golden calf and whatever they did, he would have been uh, Gan Eden. Right? Or something like that. But of course they did not. Now, that's the Listen closely what I'm saying, because it's a little bit complicated. At least in my mind. They did a sin, but they also had a gigantic failure of imagination. Although maybe that's not the right term. The angle is up as the angle is up. That's what it is. 40 days later, etc., etc., angle is up. The main idol of some sort or another. We discussed other times, not going to get into that again. But it's preceded by the fact that, as we all know, when the Ten Commandments are pronounced, and I never get tired of saying, on, on Shavuos, the Ten Commandments are pronounced, they're given 40 days later on the Shabbos of Thomas, and then Moshe, another 40 days not to kill the Jews, and another 40 days puts us in L.O. between Moshe Hashem and the Yom Kippur. That's where we are at this moment. The third round of 40 days. So, at Harsinai, there was a certain type of, you know, what's that, failure of, uh, of imagination, a failure of nerve. Um, that's just a story that we're all familiar with. Dahainu, they tell Moshe, so we can't handle this. We can't handle this. Now, here's the point I want to get across. When did they say that? When did they say that? That, oh, we can't see the great fire, and we're going to die, and you take over, and oh, when exactly is that happening? The answer is it's not clear. If you just look in a regular footnote, um, in Shmos, you know, right? When they have the first ten commandments, what does it say? Uh, they saw the whole, you know, show. They freaked out and they stood back. You speak and not God will die for this and God. Right? The very fact of seeing Hasina and seeing something unprecedented. They're worried about their own death. Actually, they should embrace that. to be a Mises Neshika, right? If there ever was one. The fact that they don't do that um, shows you that they have a failure imagination. Uh, now listen to this. When they said to Moshe, according to many, this is in chronological order, 
And they asked Moses after the giving of the Ten Commandments. Okay? Um, so notice, according to the Michelta, the Rashbam, the Ibanez, and the Barbanel, they heard the Sarasidibris, and they said, Oh, this cannot go on. Others say that this was before the commandments. That's Ramban. Wow. Then we go to Ramban. Before any of the before he heard the voice of God, just a loud song and dance, you know, with the with the clouds and the lightning and all this other kind of business, right? So when they heard that, they said, "Oh, we don't want to hear the Ten Commandments. You take it. You do it. We want a mediated experience, not a non-mediated experience. We we don't want the direct ruchnius. We're afraid of that." I repeat, a corner on Ban Hashem and I have spoken yet. But they're afraid. And others, as we all know, split the difference. The people said this to Moshe after the two after the second commandment. Um and many say that, right? The first two they heard, the others was different. This is actually a very significant point. Because we're reading today in this week's parsha that God is telling Moshe, or rather Moses is speaking to the Jewish people and saying, I'm going to get you prophets. This is a result of the request you made back then. Which is, we can't handle Hashem directly. We need intermediaries. Once you have intermediaries, all kind of intermediaries. When we today, you and I, let's say we're from, let's just pretend we're from, even though nobody's from Nello, but you know, let's just pretend you're from. So you say like this. I'm following, uh, I'm just making this up. So a person says, like, I'm from, I'm following the Gedolim. A chassid would say, follow the Rebbe. What's the idea? This is what God wants me to do. You know, unfortunately, in the year 2021, we don't have any nobody's running around, but I have my Rebbe, or I have some figure. Or this Rosh Hashiva, or this great person, or whoever. That's as close as I can get. This is the reason of the Gedolim of the Das Torah. The person not really listening to them, if shot, he's convinced that what they tell him to do, or advise him to do, is probably what God wants you to do. That's the basis of from Judaism. So it's a mediated kind of business. They wanted that long ago. Already at Harsina, according to Ramban, even before the Ten Commandments are pronounced. And so Moshe is now telling them at the end, you're going to have a funny political system. But it may be your fault. Um, I wanted to take it to Mount Sinai and hear everything direct from God, which means, right? That you were going to hear, or you started to hear, the voice, Minashamayim. You know what we say, like the Rambam says. Shemayim doesn't mean they heard the voice from the sky coming down. Shemayim, of course, is like The Arts is the physical, the Shemayim is the metaphysical. They heard the voice of God from the metaphysical. It's not just a regular voice then. They heard something that transcended the, the regular, the, the, the physical. And they couldn't handle it. They were uncomfortable with it. They said, Moshe, we just cannot handle this. We need to approach religion on our terms. 
Not in God's terms. Hearing in God's terms is beyond us. We need you to bring it down and explain it in, 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 in human terms. And Hashem agrees to Moshe. Moshe is saying this experience will continue in the future. The Rambam for and Chazal, for theological reasons, always point out that nobody ain't nobody Roshoy Lechadish Tavmiyato. You know, the Rambam don't make things up halacha-wise. But they innovated plenty, and it was necessary, and they certainly intervened in day-to-day life, uh, as long as they're around. And they're really the joker in the deck because the Nobi, if he's a real Nobi, will come and tell you, God wants you to do this, that, and the other. And usually it's not what the people expected to hear. That's why there were so many false prophets running around, because the false prophets always told the people what they wanted to hear. It's like rabbis say. You know, many rabbis will be successful because they always tell the people what they want to hear. Not what's good for them. If you went to a doctor, it wouldn't be a good idea. If the doctor just tells you what he want to hear, he won't actually prescribe what the, what the cure is. But such is human nature. And so it's just fascinating to me to comp- contemplate that the whole phenomenon, as was just described today, just now, in this Parsha, in what I consider the most fascinating Pasuk in the Parsha, at least as I look at it now. Where Moshe says, don't go for uh, sorcerers or any of that supernatural stuff. I, or God, will supply you with supernatural stuff. Supernatural stuff. Because I know he's a supernatural. It's not a question of a magic, it's a question of hearing from the Shamayim. You and I, the B'nai Yisrael said, Mena Shamayim, Hishmiachah, Selahim, Kolo, and the people said to Moshe, no, we can't hear this Shemayim stuff. The pure spiritual, I don't know exactly how to describe it because I don't. The pure metaphysical, it's it's too heavy for us. If you explain it in mediated fashion, even though it'll be corrupted to some degree from the purity of the Emma's because it has to be, that's the meaning that every Navi after Moshe is inferior to him. It has some sort of corrupting influence, even though it's better than anything else. It means that this is the way the people want to experience their religion. The experience with God. The one other is to tell them how to do it. They don't want to be the Novi themselves. Because Novi yourself means you have to live a life of preachers and all that other stuff. And they said this, as, as a nation, they weren't comfortable with committing to that. They didn't feel they commit, could commit to that. And so, This is in reply to the request that you made in Harsinai which is, I'm going to have to supply you with a string of Moseses. And we believe in Judaism that it's cotton adora. So in other words, you start with Moshe, then you go to the Nobis or Les, still very high. Then you go to, you know, Chachamim or Les, and then you go to Tanoim, Mamroim, Roshanim, Achronim, and whatever we have today. You know, that general approach. That general approach. In which case you say, being Jewish is... A religion of practices and theoretically of extreme spirituality, but you can't expect the whole nation to be extremely spiritual people. So how do you run the nation? I did not long ago. The Ramban wrote a famous letter to the Valitosis, who were intervening in the Maimonidean controversies in the 1230s with disastrous results. And Ramban said, you cannot expect the whole nation to be Hasidim. By the way, I said, funny, Rambam was a chassid, he was a makobo, but he's saying you can't expect, this is not the Hanhoga. 
right? When Moshe Rabbeinu leads the Jewish people, he doesn't treat them as if, and he doesn't expect them to be all Hasidim. He expects them to be people with the pluses and the minuses. Uh, hopefully, from their ranks will emerge the Hasidim and the Anchimaisa and the Prushim and so forth and so forth. Um, and you strive to be from that. You can't expect the old Seabor to be like that. As far as the Seabor is concerned, we need someone just to, to prevent us with rules. So that's where you get these different <coughs> models. King, Sanhedrin, other things. And I would suggest, I suspect, I don't know. How can, how can I know? I would suspect that the reason Moshe didn't lay down a hard and fast relationship like you would have in the United States Constitution is willing to sacrifice clarity because at different times, different institutions would be necessary to assert themselves in Jewish life. I don't think today, in the year 2021, it would do us any good to have a king. Right? Unless it's a, a supernatural Mashiach, king. if you found somebody today that you know comes from Dabin Amalek, from a strictly formal point of view, um, that person could be Amalek. At least the from Jews would listen to him. But then they have to treat him with good gloves and all the rest of it. That was always a disaster with the Reish Galusas in Babylonia. They were from Dovin and Melch, but they, power went to their heads and they were mostly corrupt. It's not a good model for us today. Especially we live in America or elsewhere. We've actually adopted the highly decentralized model, which for better or worse, works for us to decrease the amount of internecine conflict, which you have plenty of that. In Judaism. For better or worse, we do better instead of being one big shoal, we break up the ten little shoals, and that way each shoal doesn't fight with the other nine. Not a good model, we don't believe it's a good model, it's a model that works. So you see this already foreshadowed in my mind by the what's the right word? I don't say mishmash, the jamboree, the, the whole uh, the, um, uh, different set. Of political models thrown almost at random by Moshe Rabbeinu, it seems to me, in this week's Parsha. Um, maybe he was worried, and when he tried one model, he, he didn't think that would work. He tried another model. All I can say is, once again, you know, the king thing didn't work out great, even though we pray every day for a king. But obviously, when we have in mind Mashiach, we have in mind a king who will be quite different than the other kings who are in Jewish history for the most part. Right? 99%, 95%, whatever. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a simple matter at all. So the question of institutions of authority is one that, that continues to bedevil the Jews down to the present day. We haven't designed the system in which we live. It's we've really fallen into it. You know, like a, like a, a storm-tossed ship. Um, what of the future? Nobody knows. I think some people are familiar when they set up the state of Israel, some people had a idea to make a Sanhedrin. And of course, the Haredim opposed it, Briskarov and so forth. With good reason, but I'm just saying the the, the, the idea behind creating Sanhedrin <coughs> was to replace this Chaplot model that I just described. Let's put together a real structure of uh, governing authorities and explain the relationship one to the other. The other way was saying, don't force nothing down my throat. 
because I'm only going to resent it and it's going to come out worse. If institutions of stability and wide authority ever emerge within Judaism in our time, our children's time, it will have to emerge, as far as I can see it, slowly, um, organically, and very pragmatically. So, uh, what is the future? Shoftim, Shoftim, teacher. That's just an interesting question. Let's just ask ourselves, with this I'll conclude, let's just hope, pretend, that boring messianic uh, events, the state of Israel and the Jewish people are still there 100 years from now. I don't think it'll look like it does today. Ways institution was already will, will will evolve. I think will emerge. I have no idea what they'll be. Uh, time will tell, but it won't. I don't think it'll just be, you know, nothing. Uh, you see, from Shoftim to Shoftim, and all the rest of it, whether it's a Novi part, whether it's a Melech part, whether it's a, you know, a, a, a Kohen a Levi part, some sort of structure will emerge from our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and all that, which will give them a form and promote that which is a great ideal but can never be guaranteed in our time, which is all the B'nai Yisrael will worship Hashem in, in an organized um, Klai Yisrael manner. Instead of the situation today, which in each one makes Shabbos for himself. In the Lubavitch minion, they're approaching God in the Lubavitch way. In the you know in the Gare minion of the Gare way, in the Sephardi minion of the Sephardi way, and so on and so forth, but rather some kind of integrated way. I didn't say they all have to be the same. I didn't say that, but some kind of integrated way. Um, these are speculations. It seems to me that naturally pop up whenever we come for a thinking person, whenever we come to Parsha Shoftim. And with that, once again, I want to thank the clocks. And the Shammah, as I said before, the parents should have an Aliyah. And uh, I bid you all a good week and a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.com dot rabbi david